Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with OddsChecker. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson and George Ellick to preview this weekend's Premier League action, as we always do here on this podcast. How are we both, chaps? I'll come to you first. Jonathan, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you. Very, very well. George? I'm just excited, Dan, because you told us, uh, whether it was last week or the week before, that you're never awake when we record at 8.30 in the morning and that you're only, you only come to life in the afternoon. So I'm expecting an unbelievable performance from you today, given we're recording a bit later than usual. I mean, you know that I've been up for 13 and a half hours, so <laughs> we, can, we can expect pretty much the same miserable, boring, rubbish host that we get in the mornings when I do the podcast as well, because it does, it does quite late to me at this point, albeit it is only half four in the afternoon when we are recording. So a little disclaimer before we start, obviously there's some Europa League and Europa Conference League football to be played before we preview and do our predictions and all that jazz but I'm sure it won't make that much difference let's start with the big one this weekend then it's Liverpool against Manchester United and we'll begin with the form rankings Jonathan Trent Alexander-Arnold has been in brilliant form in recent weeks and he tops the form rankings he also tops the key passes as well Trent is just in supreme Trent form Yes, although I, I still think there's a bit of debate as to whether he's playing in his best position. Hmm. Uh, there seems still seems to be a lot of talk as to whether he should move fully into midfield. Um, I, I personally, my jury's a bit out on that. I sort of think this is an, an odd role that he's pioneering, but it seems to be working. So yeah, Liverpool, I think, still are slightly vulnerable down that right hand side, but it's just getting the balance right. And given what he's offering from a creative point of view. I guess you accept that you will let in a few goals that you maybe wouldn't let in otherwise by him playing like that. Um, and I, 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 I sort of think it's it's just good that we're seeing something different and experimental rather than you know, having a series of pigeonholes and trying to force players into them, saying you know, he has the, the, the capacity to play in this hybrid role. What could we do to, to make that work? And, and I'm not sure it's working 100% yet, but particularly given that Liverpool lack... Uh, an out-and-out holding midfielder, having that extra sort of half player in there probably is quite useful. Um, but I, I suspect longer term, they will bring in a, a more direct replacement for Fabinho. That'll probably get more out of McAllister. He'll look more comfortable in a slightly more advanced role. Uh, and then then we work out what happens to Alexander-Arnold. McAllister's got injured, hasn't he? So he might be missing for a period. Well, he'll, he'll be missing, yeah. I, 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 I just meant yeah. more, more generally. Yeah. But that could mean, uh, George, if... McAllister's missing, Liverpool have less options, obviously, then in midfield. We saw in the second half of the Crystal Palace game that he brought Joe Gomez on and then Trent Alexander-Arnold moved into into midfield. So Klopp, he's always kind of played him right back and then towards the end of last season, he started to create this hybrid role for him. But we have seen in recent weeks, he's been more likely to play him in midfield than he has done previously. And you kind of feel like in Trent's evolution, eventually he will end up. In, in midfield, you feel like he's on that journey now, but a bit further along than he would have been at the end of last year, where Klopp didn't seem to want to do that. Yeah, it does feel that way, and, and I think also the fact that there's no longer a Fabinho, and, and you've kind of McAllister's obviously been the deepest midfielder so far, midfielder so far this season, but it's always, as Jonathan says, it's it, it's not it doesn't feel like this is set, even though they've had such a good start to the season. This isn't the midfield to go forward for the next two or three years. So there's always going to be that ability for Trent's position to, to kind of move. And it was interesting, I thought, a couple of weeks ago against Sheffield United when he, he basically started 
nominally as right back, but he didn't play right back. And it meant that Shrobosly's role was kind of a weird one where he wasn't playing on the right-hand side of McAllister, but he actually played in a more advanced role. He was almost playing as a 10 because Trent was obviously taking up the position in possession that you'd expect Shrobosly to take up. And in a way, that kind of suits him as well. So where Liverpool is so well, not fortunate because it's good recruitment is they've got players such as Sobosly, such as Trent, such as McAllister, who are so strong in a, in a range of positions. Like they've shown that either prior to coming to Liverpool or they're showing it this season. So in that sense, it's a it's a strength of theirs. When they do bring in the long-term Fabinho replacement, I think it's going to mean that we see the best of those players. So, um, I mean, I, I love Trent as a player. I, I think his defensive shortcomings have almost been a, a little bit overblown. Like I don't think Trent Alexander-Arnold is on his own in terms of being an elite attacking fullback for a top-level club who defensively is, is found wanting generally in 90% of games. As a fullback now playing for a team like Liverpool, your, the majority of your function is an attacking one these days. Um, I do think with Endo playing in the holding role, who I think has been caught out, caught in possession a lot in the, in the games that he's played, we've seen issues there where someone like Trent, who may positionally get, get caught out, you can't have someone like Trent playing alongside Endo because if Endo loses a ball in a dangerous area and your right back is basically playing as a as an attacking eight, then you're obviously going to get exposed down that side. So it wouldn't surprise me massively if we saw Endo come out for this one. Curtis Jones, I think, is a player who can play that role really well um, and knit things together in, in midfield. So it'll be interesting to see what, what selection, what team selection Jürgen uh, comes up with for this. I mean, to be honest, I think you can probably play the kids and they'll be Manchester United <laughs> absolutely rank at, at the moment. I think you're right about Trent now. I think some of his deficiencies get called upon a, a little bit too much. I think he isn't Kyle Walker, who's absolutely superb defensively, but he's not alone as the only fullback in the Premier League that gets done at the back post and, and things like that. You know, like you're right. It happens to to attacking fullbacks quite a lot of the time. Liverpool top of the league, Jonathan, and albeit there's some heavy hitters around them, three big boys chasing Liverpool top of the league at the moment moment. Do you think Klopp deserves credit for the way he's rebuilt that Liverpool midfield? Because he wouldn't have expected to have lost Fabinho or Henderson, really. I know the rebuild had kind of started before then in terms of bringing players in, but he's lost two players that have played a lot of games over the last few years. And for Liverpool to be top at this stage does mean, although the rebuild's not perfect, they're along the right track. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's, that's exactly it, that it's not perfect and that's putting pressures on them defensively. I think they still let in too many goals. I think they certainly let in the first goal of too many games. And that's that's partly that they haven't been able to have a regular partner for Van Dijk this season because of injuries. Um, and you have a stat show that they're, they're much better when you have Van Dijk and Matt up together. That's obviously not going to happen for a long time. It may never happen again, given his contract's up in the summer. Uh, Canate's not been able to play consistently. I, and Joe Gomez has had his injury problems. If he was back to the Joe Gomez of three or four years ago, then I, it wouldn't be a problem. But he's not there yet. Um, but but yeah, the, the, the fact that they don't have that out-and-out defensive midfielder, I think, restricts the type of game they can play. Uh, it feels like Liverpool have gone back to what they were before. I mean, not, not fully, but the ethos is more as it was before the Santiago. That there's no attempt to just hold possession. There's no attempt to sting out of games. It's very high octane. Um, but I, yeah, I think you have to give club credit. I think you've seen repeatedly uh, the hardest thing for managers to do is to dismantle a successful team and rebuild the next one. Very, very few managers achieve that. Um, he sort of got five years out of that, part, you know, a couple of years to put it together, five years of it working well. But now we're in the phase of, of rebuilding and, 
that began with the forward line to move to the midfield, as you say, probably slightly quicker than than he anticipated. Um, the forward line looks great this season. It's had a year to bed in. Last season, they might have bedded in a bit quicker, but again, they had, had injuries. Um, so I, I, I think they'll be better next year, maybe the year after. Uh, I certainly don't think this Liverpool is as good as some Liverpools we've seen in the past five or six years. But it may be that they don't need to be to win the title because I don't, well, who knows what happens with City. But even if City win every game from now on, they can only get 99 points. So already, this can't be City's best ever season. And City have got a pretty easy run from now. I don't. I think they play uh, only Newcastle, who are currently in the top half between now and the Manchester derby on the 2nd of March. So they've got two months of relatively straightforward fixtures, albeit I think they have to play Everton twice in that run, plus Chelsea, who are two teams that you think may be top half come the end of the season. And Everton indeed would be top half if it weren't for the points deduction. But it, you know, it's, it's they've had a, a, a tough run of fixtures last month. The next two months are a bit easier. They will pick up points there, and it, it, it may be that they do put one of those runs together. Um, but they're not as strong as as they have been in the past five years. And maybe Liverpool don't need ninety five points to win the title. Maybe ninety wins it. Maybe eighty eight. Maybe eighty. Hey, well, eighty five probably not, but eighty eight. I think it's possible. And this team could get at eighty eight. I can't see them getting ninety five. No. It's interesting what you say about the rebuild of the attack was the first thing they did. They've now moved on to midfield. It'll be interesting to see if next summer actually they move on to, to the defence because, you know, you've alluded to the injury problems and Matip's not getting any younger, you know. So they, they may be changing the defence to come actually in the, in the summer as well. It's kind of a, a staggered rebuild from Liverpool at the moment. George, let's talk about Manchester United then a little bit. And Bruno Fernandes is suspended with five yellow cards. I think he probably didn't fancy to Anfield in the form that Manchester United are in. But just on the, on the topic of Bruno Fernandes, I don't know whether this is just me. You know, he's a number 10, isn't he, Bruno Fernandes? At worst, a number eight. But whenever I watch Manchester United, Bruno Fernandes is never where I would expect a number 10 to be. On, on the pitch and you know, just Manchester United's lack of cohesion in general now is becoming a real problem that, that I don't really know what, what they are we should probably know what they are by now and under Ten Hag did he almost do too well in his first season by stabilising coming third and winning a, a Carabao Cup is this a more realistic look at where Manchester United are how they are this season or is it probably somewhere in between I don't think you can ever start too well I mean I, I think at Manchester United, I mean, at most football clubs this happened, but at Manchester United more than any other, there's a, there's a huge like saviour complex where the amount of times, whether it's a manager or a player, will have a, a good run and suddenly they are the answer to all of Manchester United's questions. Like we saw it with Solskjaer, we saw it with multiple um, uh, players that have been bought. You know, Martial when he first arrived at the club, Bruno when he first arrived at the club. We've seen it with young players coming through. We're seeing it at the moment with a young player coming through in, in in my new, um, it, it always seems to be the way. And I can understand why. I think when you're a fan base that have um, been underachieving after such a period of success for so long, you're naturally going to want to believe that someone who's playing quite well and looking quite good is going to be the answer to all of your problems. But realistically, the, the problems run much deeper than Bruno Fernandes. The problems run much deeper than Eric Tenag. The problems run much deeper than the players that I've just, just spoken about then. Like Bruno's a, a, a really good player. Like I have no doubt that if Bruno Fernandes played for Liverpool, Play for Manchester City, there would be he would be a, a really key part. He wouldn't be starting every week, but he would be a key part of the squads so that would be really successful for the level. He isn't rotten, but there's only so much an individual can do. Like I, I thought he was 
in a really weird game. I thought he was good against Chelsea in, in a game that they won. I thought he was good in possession in that game. He was creative. He drove them forwards. I thought he's been okay in the Champions League at times this season as well, especially the game at Galatasaray where they should have won that game. But uh, Anana obviously with the, with the free kick made a big mistake. Um, but you're right. And I think when you're a number 10, you look at the way that, that United play where it's pretty rare that he's being able to get on the ball facing goal in an advanced area. So he naturally drops deeper and deeper and deeper to try and, as games go on, to try and influence things and struggles to do so. But you know, he's a scapegoat and understandably so. He doesn't seem like a natural captain. So that kind of always never seems to work particularly well when, when he's wearing the armband. Um, I personally think that his absence here is is going to weak, weaken um, United, even though I know the, the kind of thinking is they wouldn't make much much of a difference. Um, and I do think part of, you know, you look at McTominay's form recently in his goal-scoring form, I think having a, a central midfield player like McTominay, whose seemingly only role is to score goals, he doesn't really get involved in build-up play at all, means that a lot of the work as a number 10 for, for Bruno to do is going to gonna have to increase. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you know he's he's a he's a bit of an enigma really Bruno, but he's a player that I think is pretty good. Um, he's just like a lot of United players going through a or going through a quite a prolonged period where he's he's not quite as good as he used to be. Hey Jonathan, I think if who scored were to have a football team, I think you'd probably be the captain. What do you make of Bruno Fernandez as a captain? Yeah, you're the leader. You're the leader here. Just because I'm the oldest. Well, it's one of the reasons, but I was not. It's not exclusive to, to that reason. You command respect in the game. Generally <laughs> in the game. Uh, well, thank you. Um, what do I make of him as a captain? Well, in some ways, I, I guess you're weaponizing one of his greatest assets, which is his moaning. Like, he, he is one of the great moaners of the game. And given only captains are allowed to moan now, at least <laughs> in the face of the referee, you might as well have him wearing the armband and getting a yellow card every week. Um, but I, I don't think he's uh, naturally good at geeing up people around him, at organizing at making sure everybody's pointing in the same direction. His tendency seems to be, when things go wrong, to look for somebody to blame. We've seen instances where his, his head clearly drops when things are going wrong, not least at, at Anfield last year. Um, so, look, is he Brian Robson? No. Um, is he Roy Keane? No. Um, is he Steve Bruce? No. Do you have uh, Maguire? No. <laughs> is he is he Wayne Rooney? No. But who in the present squad, bearing in mind that Maguire and McTominay were meant to be sold in the summer, so when Ten Hag's looking around, who can I give the captaincy to? And he's not looking at, at, at Maguire. Who, who would he give the armband to? And there's not really a lot of candidates there. And that's, that's one of the problems United have got. They just don't have much personality. Uh, maybe Rashford, but I mean... I. It would, it would also have been a terrible decision given how Rashford's form has been. So Bruno Fernandes is a player who you're, you're, you know will play every week yeah. uh, when he's not suspended, obviously. Um, so in that sense, I, I just don't think there's... He's probably he's probably the best of the, of the realistic options at the time. But, you know, he's, he's not in the, the great list of, of great United captains. Not in the Jonathan Wilson class of, of captain either. This game could revolve around a couple of strikers, George. I would expect Darwin Nunes to play. And I was about to say I would expect Rasmus Hoyland to play as well. But bizarrely, you know, we're pretty confident Martial won't be at Manchester United <laughs> next season. But quite a lot of the time, Hoyland's been finding himself on the bench and Martial has been playing. Can you explain that to me in any way at all, please? 
Not really. Um, no. You've got, got to ask Ten Hag about that. Well, no. I mean, Martial's form leaves a lot to be desired. And, and given the way, you know, you, you go and you, you sign Rasmus Hoyland, who plays in a very particular kind of way, and I can I can absolutely understand the willingness to, to ease him in. Like, I think maybe because of the, um, you know, because of the price tag that came with him. And again, you know, I talk about Manchester United wanting to to kind of think of every new signing as a saviour. Like there's undoubtedly been that with Hoyland where it's like, we've got our striker now, but he's incredibly young. You know, he hasn't played much football at the top level. So I can understand why um, Tanag would want to ease him in to an extent. And he still looks like he's got a bit of developing to do. Like he's obviously physically, he's a physical striker, but I think he's still, as, as a young guy, got a bit of developing to do. So it's not a surprise to see him out of it. But what I don't understand is, you can't get two more different strikers than Martial and, and Hoyland. How are you expecting to be able to kind of transition between the two styles? Like, there's no continuity there whatsoever. And, and in Martial, you've got a player who, you know, is, is is clearly not up to the standard, isn't popular with fans, was loaned out last season, suddenly leading, leading your line still. Like it is just the evidence of, of how poorly run United have been as a football club for however long it just comes down to when you look at the players that are still playing, the players that are still important to who they are, who've, who've, who've clearly been perceived as being not good enough for, for so long now. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they have to bring in bodies to, to support Hoyland. But as we know with United, like, what, are they going to go and spend 80 million on another striker? Like, how does it work? I don't know. I mean, it's like that Titanic gif will be instead of like 84 years, it's been eight years of of Martial. You know, he wasn't going to be the saviour five years ago. So when they know he's not going to be here next season, I just can't see the point of involving him. And just in general, Jonathan, Manchester United's team selections are are, are pretty bizarre. We're talking about McTominay and Maguire as being probably two of United's best players this season. They were willing to let those players go in August. So again, Well, not just willing. They they were were trying to push them out the door. Yeah, it's just the whole setup is just quite frankly bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I mean, I, I have some sympathy with Ten Hag over Highland, um, in in the sense that look, George's point about how different he is to Martial is clearly true, but if you look purely at Highland, um, he is only twenty one. You don't want to play him every yeah. week. You don't want to flog him through one hundred and eighty minutes a week. That's not good for the long-term development of the player. It's not good for the club's investment in that player. Um, I think I might, might mention this on, on here a couple of weeks ago, uh, but when... Uh, I, I think I mentioned it in relation to Evan Ferguson getting his hat-trick against Newcastle, so more than a couple of weeks ago, but when when Michael Owen scored one of his hat-tricks as an 18-year-old, Roy Evans, who was then a Liverpool manager, uh, said something like, uh, you know, he was asked the question along the lines of, do you have to be careful how much you use him, given how young he is? And his response was, uh, you've got to be a braver man than me to leave him out, meaning that the pressure from fans, but also the pressure from Michael Owen himself to, to play was so great, he didn't want to to, to, to not pick him and face that, that wrath. And then you, you look at what happened subsequently and you think, if only he had been braver, Maybe Michael Owen's hamstrings wouldn't have snapped and he'd have got an extra five, eight years out of his career. Now, Hoyland's three years older. He's not a player who's, who's as dependent on his pace as, as Owen was. It's, it's not quite the same case. He's more experienced. But at the same time, I'm reluctant to criticise a manager who is giving his 21-year-old striker a bit of a break every now and again. The problem is the backup is is not good enough. And that's when you start to think, well... 
is Rashford really incapable of playing the odd game through the middle? Could you use Bruno Fernandes as a false nine? There's things you can do that don't require you to go back to Anthony Martial, who, what, what on earth is he still doing there? Hmm. Um, and yeah, Martial wasn't that bad when he started at United. You know, he's, he he scored sixty odd goals for them. He's, he's, I think he's, you know, his average even now is a goal one every three games or something. So it's it, you know it's it wasn't that bad, but it has gone really bad last. I mean, obviously alone last year, but the couple of years before that. I think the only time you ever justified him playing Martial is against Everton, who he scores against all the time. I think he scored like nine goals against Everton. I think I think the goal he scored this season against was his ninth. So if you're playing Everton, fine. No other reason to play him other than to give Hoyland a rest. But then you're messing around with the structure of the team. And that's one of United's problems this year. That's the big disappointment this year. That last season, given the way those first two games went, the games against Brighton and Brentford, those two defeats, Ten Hag realised he had to change. He couldn't pass out from the back. And you have to give him credit for being pragmatic, tempering his ideological instincts to change how he played. But the assumption was this season, after he's brought in a load of players he wanted, and he has had the say over over Anthony, over Anana, um, yeah, loads of players coming from the Dutch league who are clearly his contacts, people that, that he knows. And yet, you look at them this season. They, they game to game, you've got no idea what structure they're going to play, what system they're going to play, what style they're going to play. They feel further away from being a Ten Hag team than they were at this stage last season, and that's that just suggests a you know a, a, a project that's that's completely lost its way. Yeah, I mean to take your point on Rashford as well. You know, they, I get he doesn't really prefers playing from the left, but they play him on the right at times. That's further away from the left than playing through the middle. <laughs> So, well, no, but, oh, come on. There, there, there is a somebody likes attacking from wide. I, I get there's more similarity being on the flanks and being never thought he looks comfortable. On but the also, right. he, he's not he's not going to cut on his left foot and shoot, is he? Which is what his kind of best attribute is inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and to go back to the two strikers, Darwin and and Hoyland, George. You talked about you know Manchester United not playing to Hoyland's strengths. You know, Darwin gets in the positions and he's he's missing chances. He's having a better season. He scored goals, but he does miss chances. Doesn't really feel particularly like Hoyland when he does play. He's missing chances. He just isn't getting the service. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly right. I mean, I, th- I think a, a good functioning football team is one that creates chances. Um, and Manchester United are not that at the moment. Although Hoyland has obviously scored a lot of goals in the Champions League. Um, you know, with, with Darwin, you've got a player like even last season when Liverpool weren't functioning, Darwin was still getting chances. He's just he has an incredible innate ability to find himself in goal-scoring goal-scoring positions and I often think that's a skill that's underrated really he might not be the most clinical finisher but I'm, I'm just so confident one day with, with Darwin it's going to all click at Liverpool and he's going to score a ridiculous amount of goals and, and I also think he offers a lot more than goals as well I think he's, he's a physical presence up front I think Salah enjoys playing alongside him um, he stretches defences incredibly well with his running in behind he's strong um, we, we've seen him with a couple of assists recently we see the way that he presses as well uh, you know, it's. I think always think it's significant when you've got a, a striker who maybe misses a lot of chances. You know, that's probably the one trait in a footballer that fans are not really willing to forgive is a, a wasteful striker. That and probably ones that take short corners seem to be the two big bugbears of of, of most uh, of most fans. And yeah, he's still incredibly popular amongst Liverpool fans. So I think you can see a player who offers them a lot and, and and is very close to getting it right. As you say with Hoyland, I think United fans are fully behind him and I think they'd like to see more of him. Um, but with Rashford, you know, you talk about Rashford, he's, 
you know, very out of favour at the moment. He played 11 minutes off the bench against Bournemouth, played six minutes off the bench against Chelsea. Like there's, there's something clearly that that's not just a case where he's, he's out of form. I think ever since that, that incident a few weeks ago um, with Tenor coming out in the press and then him having to release a statement, things are not particularly happy and it's all good and well. Scott McTominay coming out before the game in midweek against Bayern Munich and, and saying, you know, it's been toxic before this isn't toxic. I think when you're, you know, a, a player who is quite comfortably your best player last season can't even really get a, a meaningful minute. That that says a lot more than the the words in the press conference. Well, and also a player they could play to the middle is Sancho, but he's been frozen out for, yeah, because he won't apologise. It seems such a sort of might not be toxic because they're all they're all training with the under 18s probably. They're not even there. Like it's well, just yeah. But I mean, I mean, also to be fair to Hoyland, the comparison with Nunez, Nunez was three years older when he signed. Mm. And he'd had three seasons with Benfica rather than one season with Atalanta. I mean, the, his development was a lot further along the line. I mean, I know the fees are similar, but that's United paying too much. In terms of their development, Hoyland's nowhere near none yet. Judge him in two or three years. No, I Although by then, by then it won't be fair because he'll have ruined his career by playing for Manchester United. Well, yeah, it's a footballing graveyard, isn't it, for players? Uh, at the moment, George is right about Rashford as well. He could find himself playing PlayStation with Sancho at weekends <laughs> if, if things continue. George, do Ochoa have Eric Ten Hag in trouble in terms of the, the next manager to leave market? Yeah, I, I think naturally, um, you know, you can't be following at the moment and not have him up there. But Steve Cooper is still the favourite. Cooper's five to four. Um, favourite to be the next manager to be sacked. Tenog, second favourite at seven to four. Um Hodgson eight to one. Pochettino fourteen to one. Vincent Company twenty to one. Vincent Money. You can see on Odds Checker when there's when when a price is, is uh, shortening it goes blue and Eddie Howe, maybe unsurprisingly, um is thirty three to one uh, shortened after them being dumped out of Europe unceremoniously yesterday. No, I can't see that coming. I can't see that happening to Eddie. Nor can Howe. I soon, not soon, but I mean, even though he's done an incredible job, they're probably we've said it before on this podcast. There's probably a time where they think is he the person to take us to winning the Champions League, not just to the Champions League. Okay, it's time for the combined eleven guessing game. I've got a combined Liverpool and Manchester United eleven here, based on twenty three, twenty four Premier League ratings. It excludes unavailable players for this game. How many players do you reckon have made the lineup from Manchester United, George? <sighs> Two, two, Jonathan. Well, the, the that rating always seems to be very generous to Anana. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I reckon it he, a few weeks ago, wasn't it? <laughs> he and Maguire are they the only two who are conceivable? Um, is there anybody else? Trying to tell you, but I, I guess left back maybe because of uh, the fact that Andy Robertson isn't there. Simicast hasn't played that well. I'd say three. Okay. Well, George is right with two. It is only two Manchester United players. But Jonathan, you were along the right trail with the left back because it is Diego Dalla who's actually the left back in this combined level. Because of course, because it's Manchester United, that's where he's been playing most of his football recently. The eleven. Do you know, is... how, do you know how old he is? I was really shocked when I looked this up this morning. So good question. Twenty-four. Oh yeah, he did get it. Spot. On. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Dalla. In my head, he's about 32. He just seems wow, to be around yeah, forever. Blows my mind. He came as a young player, didn't he, about four years ago, maybe? Oh, could be wrong there. Could be wife. He's been on loan somewhere as well, hasn't he, at some point during his Manchester mm. United career? 
Let's go through the 11. Then it's Alisson in goal, not Anana, who was the highest rated goalkeeper a few weeks ago, I believe, because we did a podcast on it. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, Canate and Dallow is the back four. We've then got Scott McTominay, Shabazzlai and McAllister as the midfielder. I mean, I've just said unavailable players aren't aren't in the 11, but I'm pretty sure McAllister might be unavailable this weekend. And then the front three is Salah, Nunez and Diaz to make it a Liverpool heavy front three. It's a Liverpool heavy team in general. No surprises there. Let's finish off this section then with our score predictions for this weekend. And I've completely forgotten what it was that I predicted. So, George, I'll come to you first. I've completely forgotten what their mine is as well. So give me a second to get them up. Okay, Jonathan, oh, I, I, I know what mine is. Yeah. I've got mine as well. I've got mine as well. win 2 1. You know, it's been much better than we expect. Yeah. I was going to go 4 0, but I tempered it down to, to 3 0 to Liverpool for, for this week, George. 3 1, I've got. 3 1. I don't, I don't see my new scoring, honestly. They're pathetic most of the time, in, in, in my opinion. Talking of pathetic, it wasn't a great week for either of you on the Predictions League last week. Oh, Jonathan, no. I'll exclude you from criticism because you didn't do the predictions. It was, of course, Sam that did them. He scored a measly four points. But unfortunately for George, George performed with a measly three points. I managed to get eight so I am now on 121. Jonathan and Sam are on 94. And then George and sometimes Ali, 88. Any any comment from, from either of you? Jonathan, I, I get that it's it's difficult for you. But George, you know, not showing signs of improvement. I've just had a look at odds checker. You are one of the favourites to get removed from the prediction league. <laughs> Mid-December, long way to go. It was, it, was, it was only a couple of weeks ago I was chasing you down. So, you know, let's just wow. wait and see. I've had some bang ons in the in, in in the last couple of weeks. Haven't I? I can't remember what yeah. game it, game it was. I got right last week, but it was a. I don't think. Well, I'm presuming neither of you got a got a correct score bang on last week. Whereas I know I got. I think I got Forest Wolves one one. That was the, the the one that I got right. Let's look now at Burnley against Everton. A bit of a, a Sean Dyche derby flavour to to this one. Obviously, the manager of Everton right now and has been the manager of Burnley. And without the points deduction, Jonathan Everton would be tenth ahead of Chelsea. Only three points behind Newcastle and Brighton. There's still four points clear from relegation, despite having a minus 10 hit as well. Do you think Sean Dyche might be the first manager to have two pubs named after him? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's done a brilliant job, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he really has. I mean, even the second half of last season, I, I think there was a point uh, when, when they, I think it was the game when they lost at Villa this season. Was that the third game of the season, second game of the season? Second. Uh, when Miller he Park had the fortress, so you, you have to let them off. But the, I think at that point, he had the lowest win percentage of any Everton manager in history, including really? Frank Lampard. Yeah. Uh, and so the turnaround since then has been been astonishing. Uh, I mean, he kept them up last season, which was his job, so give him credit for that. And he's obviously been able to, to begin to shape the squad this season. And they're a very dice side now. Dakure is playing brilliantly. That uh, centre-back pairing uh, looks really good. Um, it helps Calvert Lewin is is back, even if he's not necessarily scoring many goals. But he, you know, he gives him a presence up there. Uh, so yeah, I, even with the ten point deduction, I, I never really thought they were in serious danger of relegation. I thought they were playing well enough; they'd be all right. And it seems to galvanise them even further. They they shouldn't really lost like eight United three 0 and then uh, they've had the three wins in a row. So three wins in a row, and your ten point deduction's pretty much disappeared. 
Yeah, absolutely humongous performances from from Sean Dyche's Everton. If I had to ask you to guess who Everton's best-rated player was so far this season, play along at home or in the car or on the train, however you're listening or watching this podcast, who would you both plug for? Decore. Uh Dwight McNeil. If it's not Decore, I mean I'd go Decore, but Dwight McNeil as a as an alternative. Well, Dwight McNeil is second, Jonathan, and Jared Decore. Banthwaite. No, Decore is actually seventh. Top player, Mikalenka. Yeah, fair fair play. 7.17 is his rating. But, you know, of their best rated players, Mikalenko first, Dwight McNeil second, Tarkovsky third, Braithwaite fourth, Garner fifth. It's three of their best rated players are defenders, George. And Jarrod Braithwaite in particular is is quite interesting, isn't he? He's kind of not come from nowhere. We'd we'd seen him play for Everton before, but he's come to the fore this season and it feels like he's come to the fore more in this good run. I think it's with with Jared Branthwaite, you've got one of, of the only Brightwaite. Yeah, there's there's the the end in the middle. Um yeah, yeah, so I see it's now. been re- but it's just, you know, Everton I feel like on this episode I'm just slagging off the way that loads of clubs are run, but you know, I think it's probably pretty well known and even to Everton fans that the way the club has been run over the last five or six years has not been particularly smart. But I think in Jared Branthwaite, they did incredibly well because they went and they plucked a teenage colossal left-footed centre-back from Carlisle. It's not something that you often see Premier League teams do, especially not when you consider where Everton were as kind of European uh, football challengers at the time that they signed him. They managed his development incredibly well. You know, he went out on loan to Blackburn and did okay there. Then he spent last season at PSV um, in the Eredivisie. You know, he's had a a real, he's he's had a proper kind of learning curve, but enabled to take his time to do so. And, you know, we talk about, United and Hoyland this season being thrown straight in and how Dallow's only 24 because it feels like he's been there forever. With with Branthwaite, he was given the time to develop. He was given the environment within to develop as well. You know, he played under Tony Mowbray at Blackburn, who I think it's become very apparent in the last five or six years just how skilled he is at working with young players and, and getting them to be brave on the ball and developing their game uh, effectively. And now he just looks like a just a, a really great player. He's so dominant um, aerially. He's really comfortable on the ball as well for someone of his size. Um, a top player who, who I think is destined for for big things. Jonathan, has three clean sheets in a row for Everton surprised you? Uh, not really. Um, I'm trying to think who they played in that time. And the Newcastle, Newcastle game fun. obviously was the big one, but this Chelsea. is a Newcastle who were struggling a bit. Chelsea are like a shambles. I mean, the thing is, you can give Chelsea 50 shots, they're probably not going to score because they've got such a shambles up front. Um, so. You sort of expect that from dice sides. The, the biggest surprise was that it took them so long to get to this stage. The fact that last season they were quite leaky at the back, but he's obviously found that pairing that works. Branthwaite's yeah, been exceptional. Tarkovsky, we, we, I, th- I think from the moment Dice came in, he looked a better player. He got the winner in the first game under Di- under Dice against Arsenal. Um, Michelangelo has obviously settled in this season. Uh, so I mean, Seamus Coleman, when he's fit. You know, it's you know, we know his his quality. So, um, I think the midfield's working better as well. I think well, we've we've already mentioned Dakure, but the fact that they've got a player effectively playing off a front man who still gives you so much defensively in midfield, that's really useful. Just the kind of guys you want to. He got booked in that game late on again. That game against Manchester United, and I suddenly realised because my assumption was I was going to get sent off now. He's one of those players who I just assume has always already been booked. Um, but that's that, you know, sometimes you need that somebody to just sort of 
a snap around midfield and and win the ball. So I, I just think they look a really solid team. It's it's what good Everton teams have been in the last twenty five years. It's not the Everton of the mid eighties. Yeah. But Everton now are not the Everton of the mid eighties. And this is as good as Everton can get at the moment. Maybe with a new stadium, more cash coming in, maybe it's different. But uh, you know, a, a solid snapping team with a little bit of quality in McNeil and, and um Calvert Lewin and, and Dakure. Uh, I feel I've missed somebody on the right there. I'm being unfair. Harrison. That's why I wanted to ask you because the, the, the oh, yeah, yeah, Jack, well, Jack Harrison's been a good signing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it took a while because he obviously had the injury, but his pace is a big thing. Gets beyond Calvert Lewin, so it's just yeah, you know, it's just a squad that looks like it's been built to to play together, which you haven't been able to say about Everton teams for for a long time. And they were a classic team where they think, oh, you'll be nice to have this player we've heard of. And they, they just kept on signing players who were 27, 28, expensive, high wages, who had left bigger clubs. And one or two of them to try and resurrect them, absolutely fine. It's not to knock any single one of them as players. It's when you have a lot of them, it's really expensive and it's a huge risk. And so you end up, I, I, yeah. Obviously, I know Troy Townsend quite well, so I don't want to slag off Andros Townsend. And I don't mean this to slag off him. But he is of that type of player who would be pricey but his best days are behind him. Yes, you can get something out of him, but you can't have 10 of him. You can't have him and Damari Gray and Deli Ali and uh, James Rodriguez. Yeah, there's, there's loads of them they brought in. Um, Neil Mopé. When this... Uh, uh, what's his name? Iwobi. You know, there's, there's hundreds of them they brought in. But, you know, and Dan, we, we, me and you have history with this, but like... It's Ancelotti as well. Like that was the, the basically the, the moment. It is though. Where like we got. I mean, obviously, right. it was a, it was a big coup to get him in. But in my mind, Everton's issues, as Jonathan says, you look at the players they brought in when Ancelotti came in, can all be basically traced back to this vanity project of like let's go and get in loads of players that he wants who are all in their late twenties. Who like do they really want these massive contracts? Like. Yeah. I'm not. This isn't me saying Ancelotti isn't capable of managing Everton. It's more just the strategy of the football club at the time was uh, just it was vanity. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, like a, a a project which Sean Dyche has come in with a clear plan, a clear objective, and it's just making it look so simple. I mean, generally, recruitment for Everton over the last five to ten years has been absolutely shambolic. I, we couldn't. Jonathan named a few players there. We could Walker. Theo Walker. Niasa. Yeah. Wasn't he? There was Tossin. Was he Tossin? Yeah, Cheng Tossin, yeah. I mean, you could literally, you could go on for days doing a podcast about about bad Everton signs, but at least we know that we've got our podcast title sorted for this week, Wilson Slates Townsend. That'll be the one. Please, please don't do that. I didn't. I didn't sign him. I think Anderson's cross for Luton against Manchester City on Sunday was a very, very beautiful thing with his wrong foot. It was a, it was yeah. a great pass. I don't think he's got a wrong foot. He's quite good with both feet, actually. Well, yeah, yeah. Downs, but, I mean, he, he is naturally right-footed, but the way he yeah. cut back onto his left. I think he's a really good player. It just, Everton can't have too many, you know, no club can have too many players of that age and that wages who have no resale value. That's my point. I, I like him as a pundit, to be honest. Yeah, he's good. I think he's a very good pundit. Do you think he's better than his dad? I've not seen much of the punditry world from Troy. I've got to be honest. Oh, you, you, you don't where does he do? Weekly. Where does he do punditry? He's on Football Weekly. That's how I know him. Oh, on the podcast. Yeah, oh, I've not really listened to that very much. 
I'm sure you haven't listened to my podcast. It's not, not personal against you. I didn't know. I've, I'm not saying, I didn't know I you did podcasts. Oh, I do plenty. <laughs> do plenty, Jonathan. I've been a sky today. Don't you know? Sky Sports. You should, you should have mentioned I, it. I don't know how to talk about it or post it on my social yeah. media at all. But yeah, that's, that's <laughs> where I've been do, today. Do, do, you not, do you have to get up really early for that? From 3 a.m. I was up this morning, Jonathan. Can Again, you, you, should, you, should have, you should have mentioned that. I know, hosting a hosting a podcast. I mean, I just never stop working, though. I'm one of the busiest people, the hardest working people in the game. George, let's talk a little bit about Burnley. Then in the you EFL, I always turn it back to the EFL with you. In the, you. in the EFL last season, they got off to a slow start and got better as the season went on. Burnley fans will be hoping that kind of the same thing will happen now in the Premier League. They've hit a little bit of better form in recent weeks. Do you, do you give them a chance of staying up? I think they've definitely got a chance of staying up. Like I don't, you can you can sit here in um, in mid December, and I, I know there's a bit of a gap there, but like it doesn't take much. We're in the bottom end of a table. It takes a, a couple of victories to to make things look a lot better. Um, I don't think it's going great, and, and I, I don't really know what they do because um, it was a brave decision in the summer of 2022 to hire Vincent Company. Um, it was a brave decision to basically tear up. The blueprint for success under Sean Dyche and, and look to play a completely different style of football. And you know, the fact they've been disappointing this season shouldn't change the fact that they were absolutely unbelievable in the championship. They're one of the best teams we've ever seen in in, in, the, in the second tier in terms of the way they play. You've played. got a picture of them behind you, haven't you? That's <clears> I've, got, I've got the three. I've got the three uh, title winners in the EFL last season behind me. Absolutely, um, the Burnley artwork. And. Uh, Spends like a studio when there's there's a camera over there, which looks a bit better. Um, but it's uh, yeah, they they were they're incredible, and you, you could watch games in the second half of last season and just know you were in for a treat in terms of the way that they were playing, the way they would entertain. And for whatever reason, rather than retaining, obviously you have to strengthen when you come up, but rather than retaining the majority of the squad and bringing in one or two, there were wholesale changes again, and maybe it's because they were so successful in the transfer market last season, both in the summer and in January, that they just really fancied, they were like, we've cracked this. We know we can go into Europe and we can bring in top quality players. But it just feels like too much churn. Like, there's too yeah, much churn. Definitely. There, there are players last, like Manuel Benson last season was an unbelievable player who was so crucial for them going mm-hmm. up and he barely gets a look in now because there are so many players ahead of him. So it, it feels like maybe they've tried to do too much too quickly. I think the belief at Burnley in the summer, from what I know, is that, relegation wasn't even really a concern. Like they were convinced that they were going to be you know, pushing for, for mid-table, trying to, kind of doing what Leeds did when they first came up under Bielsa. Um, and on opening night, I kind of feel like if they hadn't played Man City on opening day, where they were really impressive. Do you remember that first night of the Premier League season, they really took the game to City. And even though they were picked off eventually, they came out with their heads held high. But then they had the, the postponed game shortly after that against Luton, where it would have stopped the rot against somebody. And... Um, and from then on, it's been hard for them to kind of get into a groove. Like, this is a big game for them. And naturally, because it's the return of the Daesh, um, it adds a, another spice to it too. But um, you know, they, they've still got a chance. But there's no denying they have, they have to improve. I was heavily influenced by the documentary that came out just before the season started. And yeah. I was sat there thinking, Vincent Company is the real deal. He can talk up. He can he can talk down. So he's like a brilliant communicator. So he's like a brilliant manager. And obviously, they didn't get off to the best start. I think I'll I think, put them 12th, actually. I, I think he still might be. I can't, yeah, I, I do too. I wouldn't rule out, rule out company being a, a very, very good head coach. I think it's just, it's really hard. Like it's, yeah, it's hard difficult. managing a, a promoted side out of the championship and having to, you know, he has no, he, he's not the one buying these players. So he's got to deal with what he's given. And 
you know, I, I don't think this is down to company in my mind. Um, and he's certainly, you know, people will be like, well, he's, he's naive in the way that he plays. I can guarantee you there's a remit to how he's going to play as well. Yeah. Of the uh, 23 home games last season in the league, how many times did they fail to score? It's either, The answer is going to be zero or one, and it was against Sunderland. One against Sunderland, correct. <laughs> I think you can move on now. I wonder where that question came from. Obviously, because it was against Sunderland. That's, that's exactly where, where it's come from. Jonathan, I'll tell you who, who I like. The goalkeeper, James Trafford. Had a great game last week. He seems like he's got a bit about him. Yeah, I mean, he had a, he's had a few iffy games. He's, he's coming for a bit of criticism early in the he's season. He's young, though, for a goalkeeper he, to be Premier League but, football. But I mean, that, that, he is. And, and But that, that that's, again, when we talk about the recruitment, hmm. um, that... Yeah, yeah, may, maybe more experienced keeper would have been more secure. But yeah, he, he, the last two or three weeks, he's, he's looked better. He's been playing well. Uh, and obviously, if he, I don't know, the, the, the there's no reason why a young keeper shouldn't work, right? There's no, there's no logical reason why a young striker would work or a young central defender would work and a young keeper wouldn't. But there aren't very many of them about. I mean, Donna Rummer's the only, the only one I can think of really at a very high level. I guess Casillas going back a bit. Uh, who've come through really young? Yeah. Pick um, Sunderland. Uh, yeah, but it's at Sunderland. It's not. I mean, I, 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 I appreciate your kindness. It's not at the elite level. Um, and Pickford's getting better now. Yeah, Pick, Pickford's this season has probably been as good as he's ever been. Good last I think he, well. he, he's maturing. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's again, it's a gamble that maybe they didn't have to take. Uh, and they've got you know a couple of. I mean, we, we mentioned this, I think, last season with um, Obafemi, that he came in obligation on loan, obligation to buy, never starts games. Mm. But he's done the same with Nathan Redmond. You know, Nathan Redmond, who we know can play in the Premier League, I know he's had his season at Besiktas, he's come in, nine sub-appearances, hasn't started, which just seems another odd signing. What, what was the planning there? How do they intend to use him? Why is it not working, given we know he can play at Premier League level? So... Um, but then, yeah, some of the signings I think have. I think Kaliosha looks looks very good. Um, probably should have had more goals than he's, than he's scored so far. Sanderberg has been fine. Um, O'Shea's been fine. So s- some of the signings have worked. I, I, I just I think I just think it is difficult that transition from Championship to, to Premier League because you you don't want to just rip apart the squad that's got you up, but you also know that, that squad probably isn't good enough to keep you up. So. You always have to do what Forrest did and bring in forty players. Or well, they didn't do a bad job of doing that. Well, yeah, I mean, but it, that looked terrible for two or three months. Yeah, not um, Burnley, they weren't far off, were they? With the well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've, they've still got a, you know, a slight core of the players who were there. It's, it's it's a difficult balance to strike that, and I think maybe they have made some mistakes with it. Yeah, do you kind of find a balance in recent weeks, George? Because like Jay Rodriguez is back, leading the line for Burnley. Feels like he's been around forever. <laughs> now you're Brownhill's playing Charlie Taylor. At left back, I'm sure there's others as well that I've missed out. Has he kind of found that balance now between keeping his experienced, established players in the team and integrating new signings? Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I mean, Rodriguez being back is is big. Although I would almost argue it's a bit of a recruitment failure if you bring in that many players and, and suddenly you're still looking around for Jay Rodriguez to return as being a you know a, a big plus for the way that you you are going forward. I mean, Lyle Foster obviously had an okay start to the season. I think he was kind of a bright spark during mm. a pretty poor uh, beginning to the campaign um but you've got a few of them there like a few players like um goodmanson's still a, a fairly big player for them as well um charlie taylor plays most minutes 
Josh Brownhill is still, still really important playing in centre field. So it's not like they've torn it up completely. But ironically, this was what they did so well last season is they brought in, they, they took players like Jack Cork, like Josh Brownhill, like Jay Rodriguez, who played in a completely different way and managed to build this team around them. And they were massive parts of that side. Whereas this time, it just hasn't really worked. Um, and it's still those players. I mean, Josh Cullum was one who was unbelievably good at championship level because in, in games at the championship level, they were dominating the ball in pretty much every single game. Suddenly, it's not really the same. And you're looking at Cullen thinking, actually, you know, whilst he might press for it effectively, he's not the most physical. He's not really getting on the, on the, on the ball and dominating or dictating tempo the way that he was in the championship. Is he a bit of a passenger? So it is difficult because naturally the team that you're going to have to get yourselves promoted out of the championship is going to have to be very, very different to what you want to be um, in order to, to ward off uh, relegation. Three teams managed it last season, but I mean, it's looking eminently likely that the three teams that came up will probably go back down this time around. Yeah, I'm not sure where that fourth, fifth team in a relegation battle comes from at, at mm. the moment. I'm not sure it's there at all in this season's Premier League. Let's get our score predictions for this one and the Sean Dyche derby. Burnley against Everton. Jonathan? Uh, 1-0 to Everton. One to Everton, George. I have got it as one all. Yep, exactly the same as me. I've got one all as well. Let's go through the rest of our predictions then. And first up is the Friday night football that I've got to admit I didn't know was taking place on a Friday until today. Forest v Tottenham, Jonathan. Two one to Spurs. Exactly the same here. Two one to Spurs, George. Three one Spurs. Three one Spurs. Bournemouth v Luton, George. Two 0 Bournemouth. 2-0 Bournemouth, Jonathan. 2-0 Bournemouth. 2-0 Bournemouth. I've gone for 3-1 to Bournemouth. Chelsea against Sheffield United. I have gone for a surprise 1-1. George? 1-0 Chelsea. 1-0 Chelsea. Jonathan? 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0 to Chelsea. Manchester City v Crystal Palace, please, George. 3-0 City. 3-0 City, Jonathan. 2-0 City. 2-0 City. I've gone for 4-1 to Manchester City. I've gone for a few niche predictions this week, actually, <laughs> and this is probably the nichest of the lot. I've gone for Newcastle 2, free-scoring Fulham 3. Jonathan? I've gone 1-0 Newcastle. Just because just it's starting to get players back and Fulham yeah. have scored 10 goals in two games, surely have used up a lot. So, yeah, 1-0 Newcastle. Regression to the mean. I fancied uh, a wild card prediction, really. That's, that's, that's just what I fancied. George? 2-1 Newcastle. 2-1 to Newcastle. We've done Burnley against Everton. Arsenal v Brighton, Jonathan. 2-0 to Arsenal. 2-0 to Arsenal. I've gone for 2-1 to Arsenal, George. Same, 2-1 Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. The big one on Sunday, Brentford v Villa. I have gone for another 1-0 win for Aston Villa, George. You're not going to like it. 1-0 Brentford. I mean, in fairness, Villa have an absolutely pitiful record at Brentford in recent years. Jonathan? 1-1. 1-1. One, one. Nice spread there. West Ham v Wolves. I've gone for 1-1. One, one. Jonathan? Also 1-1. One, one. Also 1-1. One, one. One, one. Oh, look at that. Lovely way to end the predictions. And of course, we've already done Liverpool against Manchester United. George let us down last week with the treble. What was it that you got wrong, George? You said Bournemouth Manu draw, was it? Manu yeah, so did you in your, in your prediction. But yeah, I did, was... but that wasn't more. I didn't let us down <laughs> in the treble because I called Sheffield United to beat Brentford and, and, and that came true on, yeah. on my leg. I'm pretty sure that was one of the ones that really boosted You the forced answer. me. You said you have to pick that as a draw. So I was like, fine. Right, so what... What have we said you're doing this week? Sorry, George. I've completely I'm doing home. I'm doing home and you're not going to like it. I'm, I'm having Newcastle. No. 
Oh, Newcastle and Brentford. That's fine. I thought you could say you're going to yeah. have Brentford to beat Villa. No, I, can't, no. I can't take part in in betting that involves Villa losing. <laughs> Jonathan, we've got you. You got the away win this week. Uh, okay, I've only predicted two away wins: so Spurs to beat Forest or Evan to beat Burnley. <sighs> Spurs to beat Forest. Spurs to beat Forest. Forest, pretty good. Could be all over on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, that that round could ruin the bet completely. Uh, but I just, I, I haven't <laughs> going to win four games in a row. It suddenly doesn't seem plausible. That. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. So I've got to pick. What? Where are we? Draw. I've got to pick draws. I can't pick. I could pick that. Well, all three of us went one-one for West Ham Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a coward's way all over it. West Ham Wolves. I thought you'd do your Chelsea Sheffield United. It's a huge price for that. But that's visual. Um. No, I'll go for the safety one this way. I always go I always go out there. It's a much shorter price than what we've had in the last few weeks. Um, just under 11 to 1, 10.95 to 1. Guess who the bookie is, Dan? Is it BetMGM? It is, yeah. Come on, BetMGM. No, it's BetMGM plastered all over Villa Park on, right. um, on, on Wednesday and Saturday. Chris Rock was listening to the pod. Uh, 10.95 to 1. Uh, they are best price. The bottom price on odd checker. Um, is 8.92 to 1. So there you go. So the difference oh. is 9 to 1 to 11 to 1. So big price, big price change if you use odds check to get your best prices. I mean, basically, it just feels like everyone should be betting with BetMGM currently because those in terms oh, of... You should check an odds checker before. The best. Oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> obviously. But it just does... Just, obviously, we, we, that's what we order. But it does feel like BetMGM are, uh, are the best odds every time. At the moment, I wonder if we can get Chris Can, can I just say, I, I haven't got one of these wrong yet. Have you not? No. You don't have the pressure it's, of every isn't week. This, huh? Isn't this only the second one? Because the third one, is it? Is that your third one? Yeah, I did. Did an Arsenal home win, which was a really short price, and got told off for it. And then (laughs) I I did uh, Burnley to beat Sheffield United, which they were like three up inside twenty minutes, something in Sheffield United down ten minutes. Yeah, I'm just not blowing my own trumpet, but you know, (laughs) it's there to be played. I'll play it. If only the the, if only the treble translated into the prediction league, where you're not not doing so well, Jonathan. I think I'm doing fine. It's just, uh, you know, I'm carrying a handicap this season. That is true. Yeah, we'll, tell, we'll, we'll inform Sam that you've got him a handicap on, <laughs> on, on next week's pod. We were going to have a little... Well, look, if, if, he, if he wants to lose the tag, get some predictions right. Yeah, it's poor. He has been poor, generally, at the predictions, I have to, I have to be honest. We were supposed to do a team overview or a team focus even of Chelsea, but we have run out of time for that this week. So we'll do it next week. We'll see how Chelsea get on at the weekend. That does us for this week's Premier League preview on the Edge of the Box podcast in association with Odds Checker, of course. Thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in or listened. Wherever you're taking in the podcast, please like, subscribe, do all the things that make the podcast look good, please if you can we'll be back next week as well to preview the Premier League action no pesky international football getting in the way for a bit so we are here every week at the moment and yeah thanks ever so much to the chaps for joining me and tell all your friends and family about the podcast (laughs) 